Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. Nationwide, protesters and city officials have taken down statues and monuments of historic figures they deem represent racism and white supremacy. In California, statues of Junipero Serra, Christopher Columbus, and John Sutter have been among the targets for removal. While indigenous groups have called for such actions for decades, they also warn that taking down statues will largely be symbolic if nothing else changes. We talk with indigenous leaders and historians about the trend of removing statues and how we understand and memorialize history. That's next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Throughout California, statues of controversial historical figures such as Junipero Serra and Christopher Columbus are being removed, and this follows a trend across the nation to demolish what some consider symbols of racism, oppression, and injustice. Indigenous leaders have fought for decades against celebrating Serra and Columbus, who they see as having committed genocide against Native Americans, and others argue that destroying statues and monuments could silence some parts of history instead of expanding our knowledge of it. In this hour, we'll dive into the debate over toppling statues and monuments, as well as who we memorialize and why. And let me tell you who is joining us for the hour. I want to welcome Greg Saris, Tribal Chairman of the Federated Indians of Grayton Rancheria, also in our Chair of Creative Writing and American Indian Literature at Sonoma State University. And welcome back, Greg. Good to have you. Good morning, Michael. We also want to welcome for this hour Valentin, uh, Valentin Lopez, who is chairman of the Amamustan Tribal Band. And welcome to the program. Good to have you aboard. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. We also say good morning to Damian Bassage, who joins us as well, professor at San Jose State University, founder of the California Frontier Project. And welcome, Professor Bassage. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad to have you on. And uh, Greg Saris, I'm going to begin with you uh, 
Well, we go back decades, and certainly this has been a cause celebre for you for decades, a battle against these monuments that represent an embodiment, as you see it, of genocide and of colonization and of all the dreadful things that were done to indigenous people. But let me go right to the heart of things. It's been frustrating to get these statues removed, these monuments removed. What about the fact that they're being vandalized and, and, and toppled down by protesters? How does that square with you? Well, you, you know, Michael, that's the problem. These are, these, are, these are quick actions. I, of course, wanted them, as you mentioned, to have them taken down. But the real question is not just destroying these, but what do we, how do we keep the dialogue about a, and a larger story? How do we continue to keep a dialogue and a larger story going about the, a more actual history of what these men represented? John Sutter, uh, again, a, another person here in California who has been a California hero who enslaved uh, uh, California Indians and worked with federally financed vigilante groups uh, to kill us during the gold rush. So the question, the real question is, you know, you can tear them down, Michael, um, and I would like to see them come down. But the big, the big thing is what happens in the void? How do we continue? How, how does this spark a dialogue about history that will continue? And that's what concerns me. Well, what about the ideas that have been put forward, uh, such as uh, why not have a museum with historical explanations or someplace outdoors? Or maybe even there have been suggestions that some of this... Uh, uh, money that's available and not that much money is available these days could be put into a park to honor indigenous people or a dance area, give back shell mounds, those kinds of things. Uh, in fact, I think April McGill, a native activist, has been talking about these kinds of things for quite a while as well. Would they be in your picture of where to move? That, that's one place, but the bigger place is, is in the schools, Michael, in the curriculum. And that's why my tribe has financed a $6.8 million project with the Smithsonian to create a template that will be first here in the California schools for 4th, 8th, and 12th grades to teach a more broad and inclusive history that will include the lessons we can learn from this history, Michael, about cultural arrogance, entitlement, what do, what do these stories tell us? What do these men represent that is about that you know is predicates colonialism? These are the things that I really am concerned about. You can do all the museums and all the little areas you want, but what happens is they become tourist places and names and all of that. But how do the lessons of this history stay with us in our lived lives and how we work out problems today in this world? Well, let me go uh, to Valentin Lopez, who again chairs the Amamatsun uh, tribal band. And uh, th there is a good deal of more consideration, isn't there, uh, Valentin, for, for example, Junipero Serra's role in terms of not only the slave trade, but all of the uh, dreadful things that he has been identified with, whippings and so forth of Native Americans, and really is essentially not even recognize them as, as human beings or having souls. Taught more in the schools now than we'd ever imagined, aren't they? Those kinds of things? That um, oh, you mean you mean the the, the, the a more true history is being taught now, or, yeah, or exactly. that older history? Uh, more authentic history, or certainly more the mixed history of what my, I mean. For example, uh, Junipero Serra was declared a a saint by uh, Pope uh, Francis, uh, and that was a major controversy. I know you remember quite well. Uh, yes. And, and that clouds people's minds. And I know you've been fighting the papal bull on this because it still exists, and there are other papal bulls. But what I'm asking you directly is, 
there have been strides, haven't there? There have been progress in terms of educating as far as the reality of, uh, if you will, the sins of people like Father Junipero Serra. Well, you know, Michael, um, we've been talking about it, but really we feel that people are not listening. Uh, you know, um, the school curriculum, they can still teach, the, you know, what they've done is the teachers can't change the curriculum or teach um, other curriculum now, but not all of them do. A lot of them teach that curriculum that's been around forever. You know, the, the sugar cube missions and the popsicle stick missions are, st are still being built in some schools. And, you know, and what has to be, there has to be a uniform application to that. Well, let me go right at the heart of this with you, Valentin. Uh, what, what is it? I've been mentioning some things, but I'd like to know from your perspective, what is it that indigenous people find so objectionable about uh, Junipero Serra, or for that matter, Christopher Columbus, who is still a cultural hero to many Italian-Americans? Well, the true history of, of Native people have never been told. We've been ignored, forgotten, and erased from history. Um, you know, you're right that Unipero, you know, Unipero Serra was canonized um, by Pope Francis in, in, in 2015. But about three, four months prior to um, him, being him being canonized, um, in Ecuador, Pope Francis gave an apology to the indigenous people for the sins, the crimes, and the offenses um, of the Catholic Church. And, and that was a phony um, apology, to be honest with you, because, you know, like I said, three, four months later, they canonized Junipero Serra, who was responsible for those very sins, crimes, and offenses right here in California, you know? And, and, and whenever the last, uh, when, the, when the missions were closing, the last Padre Presidente, Mariano Perayeras, he wrote to the superiors in Mexico City and he told them that we have to find a way to explain what has happened here. All we have done is baptize the Indians, give it some um, sacraments, and bury them. There are no Indians left along the coast, and we are going to be judged harshly and with scorn. And that's when they came up with the excuse that the priests treated the Indians, um, you know, as you know, uh, as children. That the priests, uh, that that the church that the Indians came voluntarily. They came to learn agriculture. They came for a better life. And they came to find God. Nothing could be further than the truth for that, but that was a, the alibi or the excuse that the church wanted to offer in place of the truth of what actually happened. And that's where the curriculum from California came from for, you know, for, for, for all that time. You know, now the truth is, is seeping in but the true history of the missions is still not being recognized or told. Um, so you're talking about true history as opposed to uh, a fake history, and this has certainly been the case with respect to the Confederacy, and we'll talk about this later with uh, another uh, professor of history, but I wanted to go to uh, uh, Damien uh, Bassett, who is professor of history at uh, San Jose State and founder of the California Frontier Project, and uh, history gets pretty mixed, uh, Professor Bassett. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, there was an article uh, in the San Francisco Chronicle which pointed out that uh, when, when we're talking about somebody like Ulysses S. Grant, for example, uh, when, you know, that was one of the statues that was hit in Golden Gate Park. Uh, we're talking about someone who was a slave owner, and that's uh, disgraceful. 
by any standards, even the standards of the day, but he was also someone who was a complex figure. He uh, led the Union Army in its victory in the Civil War. He was a forceful advocate against the Ku Klux Klan and for Reconstruction. In other words, how can complex histories be told when you just got a monument there or a statue there? Well, Michael, I think you hit on a real important point. And speaking of complexity, I just want to be, um, I want to cl be clear. I'm a professor of world languages and literatures, and I did my, my um, background work and my PhD on uh, writers, especially an indigenous writer, uh, Inca Garcilaso de la Vega, so uh, from South America. So I'm coming at this definitely as somebody who loves history, but I don't want to, my, my friends in the history department at San Jose State University, I just want to make sure for that. Uh, I don't want to create any interdition warfare there, so forgive me for making you a <laughs> exactly. professor of history. Okay. So, yeah, it's complex, in fact, and I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned, for example, um, is exactly that, that we're teaching the history of the missions in, uh, in fourth grade, and I think that one, that's one of the things that's very difficult to do is to teach complexity in fourth grade. And, you know, when we talk about Sarah, when we talk about the missions, I mean, these are things that have a lot of layers. And, for example, I mean, one of the things that, that you mentioned was that Sarah, you know, didn't believe that Native people had souls. But actually, that was the whole point of his whole life was to try and, and save the souls of Native people as he saw it at the time, etc. So I think that the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that the missions themselves evolved, you know, over many years. If you look that, you know, the Spanish were practicing the whole mission system for 200 years before they got to California. And when you think about it, um, it was it was even something it was always something conceived to serve the Spanish crown. But it, it changed its face many times. Uh, in the 17th century, for example, you had militias where um, Guarani people in Paraguay wiped out 4,000 Portuguese slave traders, and they were carrying guns. And so, I mean, I think that the, the idea of what the mission system was um, evolved and became very, um, very different by the time we got to 18th century California. But it's really hard to talk about these things when you have to you know, um, third and fourth graders, you can only really sort of paint things in very broad strokes. But apart from education, you can see why people would be indignant and even vehemently uh, enraged at the idea that some of these figures are lionized when they were figures who can be easily identified with oppression and colonization and enslavement. Uh, it's very difficult, in other words, to for many people to, to make a separation between those two. Is there a way to preserve, well, the history, the complexity of the history, and make it apparent to people? You know, for me, and you know, some historians may disagree, but I think it's all, history is all about the people, and individual people, you know, and digging into the lives of individual people, and, and what they say about themselves, and what other people said about them. So, you know, for example, I agree with with Valentin and and with Greg that there are many native figures in California that we don't learn about that we don't hear about. You know, if you think of a man like Sam Yeto, who was a leader of the Patwin people, 
and was known also he was baptized as Francisco Solano you know Solano County is named after him but who knows that he was a big important strong war leader of the Patuan people and an ally of General Vallejo or that Stanislaus County is named after Stanislao a uh, native person from Mission San Jose who led a rebellion in 18 in the 1820s so I mean these are things that people need to know about and I don't think that it also involves knowing about these people and knowing the complexity of their story is something that necessarily involves you know getting rid of Sarah or any other people related to the colonial project I like what you're emphasizing here we need to know more and honor more of women and people of color in our history that's a given but let me go back to Greg Sarah's uh, Greg, uh, we invited the Diocese of Sacramento and the California Catholic Conference. Uh, we got a statement from Sacramento Bishop uh, Jaime Soto on the removal of the Sarah statue in Sacramento's Capitol Park, and I'd like you to respond, if you would, to his statement. He said, the act of vandalism does little to build the future. There is no question that California's indigenous people endured great suffering during the colonial period and then later faced the horror of government-sanctioned genocide under the nascent state of California. This legacy is heartbreaking, yet it is also true that while Father Sarah worked under this colonial system, he denounced its evils and worked to protect the dignity of native peoples. His, colony, his holiness as a missionary should not be measured by his own failures to stop the exploitation or even his own personal faults. So there's again that complex view of someone like Sarah and your response. Um, yeah, Michael, <clears throat> that, that's true. But there are documents documented in the missions here. I don't know about him specifically, but um, remember, there are it's, it's documented, and in fact, some of his soldiers, the, the the padres in the San Jose mission, Mission Dolores in San Francisco, and Mission San Rafael, were so violent to the Indians, the screaming and the tortures. Remember, the soldiers, the uh, Spanish soldiers, of course, accompanied the missions, the padres. They wrote to Mexico saying how awful, awful it was, and as a consequence, uh, Judith Rosera had the soldiers then moved away from the actual mission and camped elsewhere. So there's documents that what the Catholic Church is just saying there are, are not actually true at all. That Judith Rosera and and the Padres were in men who were violent, who tortured the Indians, and they believed, remember, they had a thing about suffering as a way to heaven. And uh, they, they subjugated us via these, these horrible measures uh, in the missions, and it's well documented. So, you know, the Catholic Church can say that, you know, Jennifer Sarah was well-intentioned or whatever they, they can say, and maybe in his mind he was, but in our minds, violence and genocide and the kinds of things that happen and are documented in the missions by the Franciscan Padres are hardly worthy. And again, Greg Saris is tribal chairman of the Federated Indians of Great Rancheria. And uh, Valentin Lopez, let me go back to you. Valentin Lopez is chair of the Amam uh, uh, Mutsun tribal band. Uh, what about the argument, Valentin, that uh, you tear down a statue, but it's just a symbol. Native people are suffering and they need help now. The high numbers of uh, COVID-19 sufferers, especially among the Navajo, uh, they're not even available, they don't even have running water available uh, down there, uh, that that should be a priority somehow? What do you say to that argument? 
Well, you know, we talk about history, but we also have to talk about the impact of history. And that's what that, that's a conversation that doesn't happen um, too much at all. You know, the impact of that brutal history is what led us to the conditions that we have today to make us very vulnerable to the COVID virus and to um, and to the other diseases that we suffer from, including um, addictions and suicide and depression, incarceration. You know, that's it. That 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 that, that is, there is all an impact of that brutal mission period, and people don't talk about it. You know, that's that we've been calling for the removal of the of the of the missions because the, the way to heal is to tell the true history. And the true history today ignores, forgets, and erases us from history. And we're, we're saying it's time to not honor those people who are responsible for the destruction and domination of indigenous people. But at the time, it's time to tell the truth and to recognize the people that were here before and never let them be forgotten. You know, our people were not hunters and gatherers. They were very effective land managers and stewards of the land, etc. And we're doing a lot now to bring back, the, you know, to restore that knowledge and to bring it back and to start practicing it. But, you know, um, that, you know, that's the history that people have got to learn about as well. You know, tearing down that mission, I mean, we just got tired of calling for it. Um, uh, I, you know, the, the you know, I know that it's a, it's a crime to take down, to tear down missions, and we don't support criminal activity and stuff like that. But people get, you know, pe people are just tired of waiting and they're just frustrated. Well, if I go and, back uh, to, I, 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 I go back to Damian Bassett on this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to sort of clarify something with Damian Bassett on this. Let's just uh, talk about the missions for a moment, Professor Bassett, because uh, I hear what uh, Valentin is saying, and it's certainly been said. And maybe not even said enough, but the reality is, uh, I'm thinking about something Corinne Fairbanks said, um, part of the uh, Native American activist movement. Said the missions were concentration camps; they were places of death and spiritual and cultural uh, uh, history was erased essentially by this attempt to what you describe uh, as saving souls. Yeah, you know, once again, the way to, I think that we have to try and understand the missions from the voices of the people who were there. One of the people who you can read, uh, actually one of the few um, native voices in talking about the missions, a man named Pablo Tac, who grew up at the San Luis Rey uh, mission in the 1820s. And he wrote, well, first of all, he wrote a grammar of Luiseno language. And he also wrote a story of, the, of his people, the Luisenos, or the Quechnawichum, and, you know, that what he describes is not a concentration camp. It's a tough place, perhaps because it's a working farm. And he describes people who were the native people on the mission who were not uh, passive, but who were strong, who let the Spanish know that they were there because they let them there. In fact, he, when he tells the story, of how the missionaries came to his area, he said, it's a wonder that our people did not kill them because evidently the, the leader of the people at that point struck up a friendship with Antonio Peri, 
who was the, the man, the, the friar who founded Mission San Luis Rey. So I think when you think about it uh, in those terms, this was a, a very complex negotiation between the native people and between the Spanish. But also when we think about Spanish, they weren't really Spanish people from Spain other than the missionaries. The soldiers and settlers who came north from uh, what is today Mexico, Sonora, Sinaloa, were people of mixed ethnicity, both indigenous, mestizo, and African, Afro-Latino, and European as well. So the picture is, I don't think it does much of a service to, to really take these uh, symbols of horror and just apply them to something as complex as the missions. And well, it, I, would, I would say each mission was different itself. Each mission had its own distinctiveness. I think that's absolutely right. But let me uh, invite our listeners to participate in this discussion. And uh, what do you think of removing statues and monuments dedicated to historic figures and what should take their place? You can give us a call right now, and I invite you to do that. Toll-free number 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about the removal of statues and monuments dedicated to historic figures and the ongoing controversy of what should take their place, but not only how they should be brought down if they indeed memorialize or lionize, if you will, uh, figures who have been identified with slavery and oppression and uh, uh, terrible deeds. Uh, I'm getting a lot of comments here. Let me read some of them. Susan writes, I'm a 73-year-old California native, and when we were in grammar school, Junipero Serra and the California missions were part of the completely positive history of California. We were not taught about the Mexican-American War, the Gold Rush, and Bear Republic. We're taught as acts of heroism and initiative. I think historical education and not state or national propaganda should be taught at all levels of education. I think that's what Valentin Lopez was talking about as, as true history. Here's Robert who says, taking down monuments to Jefferson Davis or Junipero Serra is not rewriting history, but a starting point to say we don't want to honor them. That said, I don't support removal without a community-based democratic process. That process will lead to a wider discussion and understanding of historical events. And Thomas writes, in my opinion, statues conceal history and reduce the complex stories to false idols. Taking down statues is revealing history, particularly hidden truths, and yes, removing statues is only symbolic, not actual progress that impacts real lives. Gregory writes, I had, I had Gregory here for a moment. Uh, <laughs> let me read some more of these comments. Uh, Gary writes, Germans took down statues of Hitler, Russians took down statues of Stalin. History has not forgotten, but madman murderers are not being honored and celebrated. And Spencer says, as we move into the internet age, the physical world has never mattered less as the retail Apocalypse illustrates no one notices statues anymore. We barely acknowledge each other over the dinner table as we browse our phones. The relevant question to me is how can marginalized people be more visible and play more of a public role in the online world we live in? So you're getting some good comments here and uh, we'll read some more of them and we'll try to take your calls. But I want to go first to Adam Dombey, who's history professor, really is a history professor at College of Charleston and author of The False Cause, Fraud, Fabrication and White Supremacy uh, in uh, Adam, give me the whole title here. It says in Confederate. Am I missing a word here? In Confederate memory. In yeah. Confederate memory. The last word is memory. Uh, okay. False cause, fraud, fabrication, and white supremacy in Confederate memory. Well, there's uh, a lot of that, to be sure. 
And a yes. lot of that has come through, as you pointed out in uh, articles of yours that I've read from the Daughters of the Confederacy and uh, certainly from an attempt to preserve what is seen as, uh, well, the lost cause narrative. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, slavery is not included in that narrative, and that's been a Southern narrative for many years. Well, yeah, in some ways, slavery isn't included, but in other ways it can be. It's sometimes included as a positive good where uh, individuals will try to portray slavery in a positive light, which let's be clear, slavery was a terrible institution premised on terror and torture. Yeah, but forgive that, me, that's what I meant to say. The tragedy yeah. of, of, of slavery is, was never represented in that. It was yeah, kind of, it, it ignores yeah. the sort of reality of slavery and instead glosses over it. It's a narrative of history that white Southerners have been had pushed after the Civil War and continued, some will continue to push, that really obscures a lot of the realities of the Civil War, including the causes of the Civil War, which were very clearly slavery. Um, but by changing those causes, it helps, it helps sort of argue and portray Confederates as heroic. Well, they also made the, uh, the Civil War into a battle over states' rights, not over slavery, right? Exactly. And that's really, you know, on the one hand, it serves today to obscure the racist connections and the racist roots of the Confederacy. But at the time that they first started rewriting it, it had less to do with rewriting about white supremacy as being a negative as it was about turning a defeated force into the victors. Because if you fought a war for states' rights and states' rights still exist and, in fact, are quite important in the early 20th century for defending Jim Crow, then... You don't have, um, you haven't lost, you've won. So let me cut to the chase here. Instead of canceling history or, for that matter, toppling monuments or statues, what's the best way to approach this kind of history, to not only approach it, but to preserve it and understand it at the same time? Well, I think the first thing we have to recognize is that monuments don't teach history. Uh, they fundamentally don't. If you're really worried, and a lot of the people who are most worried, at least in the public sphere, it seems, about the existence of monuments, politicians and the like, um, are the same politicians who want to cut the National Endowment for the Humanity and cut education funding and cut, cut funding to the humanities and focus just on STEM. If you're really worried about preserving history, history isn't taught by monuments. Monuments teach values and who's worthy of celebration. History is a critical analysis of the past. And that's taught in classes, through books, through documentaries. That's where you learn history. So I don't think that monuments are where we learn history. In fact, frequently monuments give a skewed version of history. Is there a danger of a kind of cancel culture, though, in taking down monuments and, or vandalizing them? And in Boston, uh, for example, Christopher Columbus, is, the head of the statue of him was decapitated, cut off. I mean, there is... The Columbus statues that have been put up around the United States weren't put up to actually celebrate the historical figure Columbus. They were largely erected to help Italian-Americans feel included. They were meant to sort of be an inclusive nature and to allow Italian-Americans to feel part of America. And so when you, I mean, he never arrived in the United States. He never got here. Why are we celebrating him? And he, you know, committed horrible travesties uh, and, you know, was participatory in, in what ultimately became genocide as well as slavery and the rape of, of indigenous people. So if we want to actually study the history of Columbus, then these monuments are obscuring it because they're telling you he's worthy of celebration. 
Now, if you want to look at the history of monuments and the way these monuments function, then in some ways, perhaps a monument being removed makes it less obvious that it was there. But when I do my research as a historian of monuments and someone who actually looks at these monuments, I rarely look, I'll visit the monuments sometimes, but all I really need to know is what it looked like and a photograph will do just fine. So I'm not sure that we're necessarily going to lose history so much as have conversations that allow us to have a better understanding of what history often also entails because these monuments were meant to portray a specific memory of the past that celebrated things. And sometimes these things aren't worth celebrating. And Adam Dami is history professor at the College of Charleston, author of The False Cause, Fraud, Fabrication, and White Supremacy in Confederate Memory. And let's get a caller on here. Denise, join us. You're on. Morning. Good morning. So um, my thought is that this conversation was precipitated by the toppling of monuments. And um, prior to this, I didn't hear a lot of conversation about, you know, the real history versus this uh, kind of whitewashed history. So I'm all for toppling a monument to start a conversation because, honestly, people have been trying to have these discussions and use the democratic process and petitions and bureaucracy would not allow these monuments to be discussed, to be removed, but toppling them started a conversation. So it's a catalyst as you see it, and that's not a bad thing. I appreciate your thoughts, and I thank you for the call. Let me get another caller on here. Roger joins us next. Roger, welcome. Thank you. Um, Throughout the state of California, along all of our freeways and highways, there are markers for historical landmarks. When you stop at these and read those historical landmarks, which I've done, they start at colonialism and go on from there. The Native American history and culture is completely ignored or just uh, coverage about how it was made better. Um, I would suggest one way to start correcting things would be to go to each of those historical landmarks and afford the opportunity to our Native American scholars to come in and put in the rest of the story and a description of what actually took place in that location as colonization took place and what existed there prior to colonization. And I think that that would be of help. It's a little thing, but still, when you start seeing what the story in this country was, especially in California, it's very eye-opening. And that's just, to me, a glaring glitch, a missing piece that should be in place. What do you think of that suggestion, Valentin Lopez? I'll go to you. Uh, You like it? I think right now with I think right now with Governor Newsom in place, there would be a possibility of actually creating legislation or executive order that would allow that process to occur if it was pursued. Well, I didn't hear Valentin's voice, so I'll go to Greg now. Greg Saras? I'm here now. If you're when are you ready? Okay. Did you did you hear the comment from the listener? And I wondered if you thought it was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, that's what we've we've asked for. We've asked for those uh, markers, those mission um, mission bound markers along the El Camino Real to be removed, and to tell the true history and to tell the you know a, a bit of history from the local tribe there, so that they w- that tribe will not be forgotten ever. That's one of the goals of our mission, you know. So, um, so I agree. And then the other thing is, you know, th- those all those markers and monuments and statues. You know, they're, they're saying, what does a society value and what does a society honor? 
And are these people really worthy of that value and that honor that, are, that, that, that is given to them? You know, I mean, like you look at Sarah, I mean, over 100,000 Indians died during the mission period. I think you've um, just raised again the central question, and uh, I'd like to hear actually what uh, Professor. Uh, let me go for, back to Professor Dombey on this uh, because it's a, a really central question about where the line should or ought to be drawn. We know, for example, that the one of the fathers of our well, the father of our country, George Washington, was a slave owner, and so was Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it's complicated history in terms of who we honor, just as Valentin was saying, and what that honor really tells us in terms of lionizing someone who has done dreadful and unconscionable kinds of things. You want to opine on this, Adam Bomdi? Yeah, I mean, I think first off, um, I want to point out Valentine is, is exactly right when we talk about this issue of these monuments aren't teaching history. They're about who to valorize and who we we see as worthy of, of celebration. And here in, in the American South, where I'm I'm based out of, um, it's almost impossible to remove a monument legally. They, they passed what are called Heritage Protection Acts, such that literally, was every time a Confederate monument's being pulled down, it's in large part because there is no legal means to remove them and and bring about these these discussions of history, which I think one of your your callers made a really interesting point, is that, you know, these discussions around monuments are teaching more history than the monuments have done their entire existence. I mean, I've yeah. been um, I've been on been called by more reporters in the last month than in my entire life previous to this. Um, suddenly people are interested in Civil War history again. And so I think one thing we really need to remember about monuments is that they are celebratory in nature. And so if we have to have a discussion about whether someone's worthy of celebration, that's not a bad discussion to have. That's a good discussion that's going to allow everyone to learn a little bit more history. And I would just add, and I think this is an important one, George Washington, when you bring up the issue of slavery, and I want to be clear, the issue of his relations with Native Americans and other founding fathers' relations with Native Americans is a separate issue that I think is, is worthy of discussion as well. But when we're talking about slavery, at least, Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee have monuments because they fought to preserve slavery. Thomas Jefferson has a monument despite owning, owning people. And so perhaps that monument needs updating to teach a fuller history about his thing. And perhaps it is a discussion worthy of having of whether or not we even want to honor these individuals. But having that discussion is fundamentally, I think, a in a democratic process is a good thing. And it allows us to, to sort of hash out what we as a society want to, to celebrate. And so if you take away the ability to remove monuments, what you're doing is forcing the hand of those who want to have this discussion and forcing them to take more drastic action, like pulling monuments down. I'm going to uh, bring some more listeners into this. Uh, and let me get Robert on, who's joining us from Ventura. Robert, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello there. Good morning. I'm just uh, commenting on some of the inappropriate and anachronistic language being used to describe the missions uh, and what was happening in them, such as genocide and concentration camps. The word genocide itself is a UN term from the 20th century and talks about deliberate extermination of peoples. That is certainly the opposite of what the Franciscan missionaries were attempting to do in 
late 18th and early 19th century California. I thank you for that. There is a distinctions that have to be made between literal genocide and, and cultural genocide. Uh, it's a word that's often bandied about with too much ease and needs to be used much more wisely. I'd agree with the sentiment uh, that I think was behind that call. But we also have trouble with other elements of language. And uh, perhaps we had to focus on that a little bit with you, Greg Saris, when we talk, for example, about um, uh, oppression and dehumanization, uh, there are words that uh, need to be, I think, codified, and they need to be specifically pointed out in terms of details and in terms of specifics. And uh, that can be done, as you said earlier, through education. It needs to be done through education. Yes, and again, I, you know, and again, I, I like what you said earlier, Michael. This all of this, the statutes being a catalyst. But I want to respond somewhat uh, to the last caller, if I may. Um, with an example from my own tribe, the Federated Indians of Great Rancheria, which will illuminate a little bit of the, the consequences of this history, uh, Michael. Um, at the time, we were comprised of uh, survivors from Southern Pomo and Coast Miwok tribes from Sonoma County and all of Marin County. At the time of contact, there were approximately 20,000 of us. Today, of the 1,450 enrolled members, we all trace our ancestry back to one of 14 survivors all of whom were women, all of whom were wives or concubines of the Mexicans or early Americans. Um, call it what you will. Um, also called the great survivor. But the problem here is with American Indians, we, we have tended to be the prick in the American conscience. Uh, Americans can say, well, slavery was bad. We got rid of it, never mind the legacy of slavery. And immigrants chose to come here. But there is a true reluctance to deal with the fact that American people are on stolen land, stolen a bloody a bloody theft, um, and so it's going to be it's an upward you know battle um, as as Valentine said earlier. People we've been saying these things. The local folks know these things. It's been passed down in our families the stories, whether they're written or not. Um, and but the truth, these stories remain, and you can call it what you will by whatever term. But the, the, the murder of thousands of people and the consequences of colonialism, 80% of our kids dropping out by ninth grade until 10 or 15 years ago, life expectancy for a California Indian man 47 years until very recently, those are things that we live with. Those are living. And until we all can talk about these things um, in some way, be it via the tearing down of the monuments or the curriculum in the schools, this kind of thing is going to be, particularly for Indian people, going to be pushed aside, these stories. Uh, and again, Greg Saris is tribal chair of the Federated Indians of Great Rancheria. And uh, Wanda is our next caller. Wanda, good morning. Welcome. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and hello to Greg and Valentine. I'm Wanda Quitiquit, Greg. And uh, I am all for that taking down of that Sarah uh, uh, statue. Uh, that has caused us so much grief. You know, when you pass these statues, yes, we don't go and, uh, you know, take pictures of it and stand by and all that jazz. But you just have to, you have, when you have to pass by these things, it just, uh, it, it, it does raise a, a trauma in terms of why don't we have statues? What happened there? And yes, I would say that that's our fault as tribes not erecting a statue uh, to honor our people. So we in Lake County have decided, seven tribes here, and we have come together uh, with the county 
uh, to erect a statue uh, in our downtown town of Lakeport, right in front of our key museum there. And so it was, it was a unanimous among the Board of Supervisors to do that because they recognized the history of the Bloody, Mass- Bloody Island Massacre here, and that is the telling thing of, uh, you know, uh, for them to understand what happened to the Pomo people here in Lake County. And so we are raising money uh, very slowly to erect this statue. It will be a Pomo family statue uh, pre-contact. And uh, this is something, and, uh, you know, the building of, all, of the Sarah, i just take that one as an example. Nobody asked us. Nobody gave, asked us for our opinion. We didn't give input into that. You know what it would have been. So this whole thing of uh, that this should be a community effort, well, these statues mostly are erected through private funds and uh, to have legislation come in so that these wealthy uh, people can put up the statues commemorating these murderers and uh, uh, leaders that, that uh, have to give us a, a grief, you know, is, uh, you know, so we decided that we needed this for our youth for the future as a means of education. And and going back to education, the state of California did approve Native curriculum, but I don't know where it is. Nobody knows where it is and how it's being uh, done. But but again, you know, uh, this whole thing of the statues is, uh, it has, it goes more than just uh, what some of your talkers have been talking about. The, the, it's complicated the and it's uh, yes. profoundly difficult. Wanda, I thank you for that yes. call. I want to uh, thank you. go to some, some more listener comments here and hear what listeners are thinking. Uh, Carol writes, each state gives two statues for display in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. California is her father, Junipero Serra, and President Ronald Reagan. They can be changed. I'd like to suggest substituting John Muir for Junipero Serra, and John Moore is, of course, responsible, this listener writes, for the preservation of Yosemite Valley, a priceless treasure and a founder of the modern environmental movement. Caroline writes, I feel like there are definitely ways to continue celebrating Italian-American heritage in San Francisco while eliminating the focus on Columbus. And I feel like the Italian-American community might be great allies to make this happen, but I think having more experience and direct communication with the Native American community would help. April says statues, monuments, buildings, and the like named after racist historical figures shouldn't be removed. There should be signage added to the site stating what the person did that was racist. And a tweet from Noel. Noel writes, uh, it seems to me that the toppling of statues gives the participants an immediate feeling of vindication, but it does not help the more messy long-term work of coming to terms with our history and how to address it without either whitewashing or erasing. And as I said, Lots of people weighing in here. Let me read some more comments. James writes, studying history is an academic discipline. I was taught that objectivity requires suspension of judgment. I learned that taking offense at historic realities is both pointless and absurd, since we have no real understanding of what happened or the people involved, and our modern-day perspectives are not those of the characters we study. What can you say about the prevailing attitude towards judgment and taking offense at history? And I'm going to go to you on that, Professor Bassett. I'd like to hear your response. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that objectivity is very important. Um, I think one can be objective and also judge the events of history. I, I think, for example, that if we look at a person like Sarah and contrast him with a person like John Muir, you know, we John Muir, for example, for all he did for Yosemite, he 
very much felt that Native American presence on the land was a blight and not a, um, a management as we've understood it to be. Whereas a person like Sarah, who he probably, we, we wouldn't necessarily share a lot of his ideas today, but he actually felt that Native people were to be valued and he would give his life for them. So I think that, that the important thing is to dig deeply into people's uh, lives, into their motivations, and into the context that they found themselves in. Because without the context, man, it's really hard to make a good assessment of what happened in the past. So, yeah, I think that, that when we look at statues, the first thing that comes to our mind oftentimes is the toppling of stat, you know, toppling Saddam's statue in Baghdad in 2003, or you know, Stalin, Lenin in in Red Square in Moscow, and so these are things that that elicit, you know, visceral responses in people. And yeah, history we need to understand it, and it also needs to move us. But I don't think that that um, that, that that stops us from being objective about it. I'm hard to be objective about history, though, because uh, there are many people who have strong visceral responses to it, but that's maybe a topic for another day. I want to get another caller in here. Uh, morning Star Gali joins us from Sacramento, and welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. You're certainly welcome. Tell us what's on your mind. I just want to say that I am appreciative that Chairman Lopez's voice is included in this conversation. I think that we need to be hearing more from tribal leadership and not necessarily historians as the tribal leadership um, and community members are the experts on this issue. That we're the ones that have been impacted directly. I have just been a part of um, an effort here in Sacramento where we were able to bring down three statues within two weeks, the Sarah statue, the Columbus statue, and the Sutter statue. And there's definitely more work to be done in terms of renaming places and acknowledging the um, traditional history of indigenous peoples. Thank you for that. Good to hear from you. I appreciate the call. That's Morningstar Gali. And uh, Greg Sarris, we've got a little time left here. I want to go back to you because uh, you've been involved in the casinos, and I think uh, there's a point to be made in that a lot of people don't see the history and they don't see the suffering uh, that you alluded to earlier, the fetal alcoholism and the economic deprivation and the difficulties. They see, for example, casinos, which not are certainly not thriving in the pandemic, but have been thriving, and that's all they see. Yeah, well, I jokingly say, Michael, that uh, people in California didn't know there were Indian people here until there were casinos. Um, but um, that that said, the casinos, for those of us who have them, and if we're doing the right things with them and right by our people, have really lifted people up. It's changed things. Uh, as I said 10 years ago in my own tribe, approximately 80% of us are dropping off from high school. Today we have students in Stanford, Berkeley, and UCLA. Things are changing. Um, and, they, and with the power that we have, I think, in Sacramento, we can also work with our legislators. Um, and I would make an argument that some of the response from a lot of the legislators is as a result of the money and pressuring that you know Indian people are able to do today. Um, it's too bad it has to just go that way. But um, um, if I, I say, you know, gosh, if we can't get social justice and a more accurate history, damn it, we'll buy it. 
Well, let me, on that note, say we can all hope for not only social justice, but accurate history. And uh, I want to thank all the participants in this hour. Greg Saris, again, is tribal chairman of the Federated Indians of Great and Rancheria and endowed chair of creative writing at American Indian Literature, Sonoma State University. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Michael, for having me. And thank you, Valentin Lopez. Valentin Lopez chairs the Amamatsun Tribal Band. Good to have you with us this morning. Appreciate it. I'd like to say one last thing very fast, Michael, is that not only the natives need to heal, perpetrators need to heal. That's the state of California. That's the Catholic Church. That's many other perpetrators. That's they a good note. They good must note. heal from their historic trauma as well. I appreciate that note, and I want to also express appreciation to uh, Damian Bassett, who joined us this hour, professor at San Francisco State and founder of the California Frontier Project, and Adam Dombey, history professor at the College of Charleston and author of The False Cause. And I'm uh, at the end of uh, this hour to say that uh, some big changes are being made here at KQED as well. Uh, Mina Kim is going to be your host in the second hour. I'm going to be host continuing in the first hour, but cutting back my time a little. I'll be on with you Monday through Friday in the 9 o'clock hour. Mina on in the, nine, in the 10 o'clock hour. Stay tuned for more on this radio station. And for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, thank you for being a part of the program. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.